We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Have you ever had a friend that you felt like maybe you had to kind of pre-introduce You had to kind of set people's expectations up for what they should expect when they meet this person. Maybe they're a little bit eccentric or or just passionate, or maybe they're just plain weird. And you just don't know what to say about them as you're introducing them to someone. And, and I think that's kind of how a lot of us feel about the Holy Spirit sometimes. We feel like he's this eccentric, passionate friend that we just don't really know how to introduce to someone who doesn't know him. And so a lot of times we get uncomfortable when we talk about the Holy Spirit because we're just not sure what to say. And so, but the Bible has a ton to say about the Holy Spirit. In fact, from page one, in the, in the beginning, you read about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of creation as God is making the temple of his creation where he's going to dwell and extend his glorious presence. We read about the Spirit on page one. And Jesus, he calls the Holy Spirit the great helper, the helper that helps in times of need and that walks alongside Christians and empowers Christians to live the Christian life. And so as we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, we've been considering what this Christian life looks like and what God's will is for us. And we've noted that Paul mentions again and again this, this spirit of God and how he is essential to the plans of God and to empowering us for the Christian life. And so we've talked about how uh, Paul has turned the corner from talking about what the gospel is to showing us how it changes our lives and empowers us to live differently. And if we're to understand how we're to walk in things like purity that we talked about last week or as we're going to talk about in the coming weeks in our marriages and in parenting and in obedience from the heart and in the workplace and all these different things, if we're going to understand how to walk the Christian life, Paul says, pay careful attention to how you walk, then we must talk about the Holy Spirit. We have to. He's the only way that we can do do it because you and I, we can't do it in our own strength. And in fact, Jesus said that when he, was, when, he was, when he had already died and resurrected and was going back to be with his father, he was ascending to the father, he was leaving his disciples. They'd walked with him and done life with him for three years, three and a half years, and, and Jesus said to them, it is essential that I go away so that the helper will come to you. So Jesus essentially says that it's better that he is with the Father instead of being beside you. It's better that Jesus' spirit is inside you rather than Christ walking beside you. And so we have to talk about the Holy Spirit. Here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He said, there is only one way to live the truly Christian life. It is to be filled with the Spirit. And so friends, today we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 15 through 21 today. And then at the end of our message time, we're going to celebrate what it is that Christ has done for us. That's why we have the different setup here today. If, you're, if you haven't been with us for communion before, 
We like to take time to celebrate periodically what Christ has done in shedding his blood for us and his body being broken for us. And we do that as a community of faith. And our service actually continues down in the fellowship hall after it's over. And so if, if you would join us for lunch, we'd be happy to have you. Uh, we celebrate together as a community of faith on communion Sundays. And so we'd love it if you would join us. But with that said... Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Here's what Paul says. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need you. Spirit of God, we need you to give us understanding about who you are. God, we pray that as we study your word today, that you might enliven our hearts with our understanding of you, that you might empower us to live the Christian life, that you might show us your power today. God, we pray that we would know you more today from studying who you are, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So the first thing that we have to talk about when we talk about the Spirit is, is what Paul talks about in verses 15 and 16 here, uh, and even 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And so we have to talk about what it looks like to walk in wisdom. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, then what we're going to be doing is walking according to God's will for our lives and understanding his ways. And so that means walking in a biblical kind of wisdom. And so there's a, a few things that we can, we can look at that help us understand what it is that God's will is. You know, we tend to think of God's will as though it's, okay, what job should I take? Or what car should I buy? Or, or who should I marry? Or, or what should I do next? And, and what the Bible talks about in terms of God's will is not necessarily that it's going to show you exactly which decision you should make, but it's going to give you a lens through which you can approach all those decisions. When the Bible talks about the will of God, what it's talking about is God's eternal plans of redemption and restoration. So he sees our brokenness and he enters into it in Christ. And that's what we celebrate in communion, the fact that Jesus, God himself, has come as a man and he has allowed his body to be broken for us and his blood to be shed for our sins. And so when we celebrate communion, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating, as Paul has told us from Ephesians chapter 1, if you can remember back to when we started our series, that his will includes bringing all things together under the rule and reign of Christ. Here's what he says in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so the first thing we understand about God's will is that his will is that he would unite all things under Christ. 
And secondly, we understand that his will involves our growth in holiness, in Christ-likeness. It involves change in us that makes us look more like Jesus. And so Paul says it this way in another letter of his. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Honor is, is, a, is a worship term, right? It's, we are learning to control our bodies, control our passions, control our desires in such a way as to honor God with our very lives and controlling our bodies. And so one of the things that we need to talk about when we talk about the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit is that when the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's not talking about this, this kind of mania experience where you're, you're overcome by the Spirit and you're not able to have control of your faculties. Some of our charismatic brothers and sisters kind of understand it this way sometimes, though not all do. Um, I, I had significant experiences with different charismatic brothers and sisters in different churches that don't believe these things, but... There are some churches where you'll, I mean, one experience that Brittany and I had was we visited this church one time, and, and the service began by the pastor announcing the guest speaker as though he were a prophet like the prophets of the Old Testament, which we know isn't possible. Um, not that we've talked about how prophecy in some sense might continue, but not in the sense that you can write scripture like the Old Testament prophets did. You don't speak with that kind of authority. Only they did. The Bible is complete. It's done. It's written. And what we experienced that day is it began with the guest speaker being announced as a prophet of God. And then throughout the worship time, um, it was quite interesting because they had these designated men on each side of the sanctuary that were to catch people when they fell. And so you knew when, like, you were already prepared to catch someone that something fishy was going on. Because how could you possibly know what the Spirit of God is going to do before he does it? And, and yet these men were ready to catch people. And, and so throughout worship, they would interrupt worship in order to have these men walk. And whenever they would do this, whenever they'd interrupt it, these men would walk up behind someone on stage that had been singing, and they would stand behind this one lady, and, and this prophet of God came up to her and, and shoved her in the forehead, shoved her in the face, over, back into these men's arms, and called that being slain in the spirit, called that a spiritual experience. Friends, all that happened there was a grown man shoved a woman over. That was not the Spirit of God. And, and it continued this way throughout the service. And, and the pastor there explained that one of his most significant experiences in the Christian life was when he met this man and he went to his church and what he felt the Spirit prompting him to do, supposedly, was to get up and run laps around the sanctuary as the worship service was going. And he felt like he couldn't control himself. Friends, when the Spirit of God fills you, he doesn't control you in the sense that he overpowers your will and your ability to think. It's not like, as Paul's going to talk about, it's not like alcohol that kind of makes you do things that you wouldn't do. And so part of understanding the will of God for us is understanding that sanctification means learning to control our own bodies, learning to control our desires. And, 
And he says, for God has called us to, not to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And thirdly, we understand about the will of God that it involves evangelism and discipleship. And so the will of God isn't as much about which car you should buy or who you should marry necessarily, though those are important decisions that you use wisdom to make in life. But the will of God is about God's plans and purposes for his world, his plan of redemption, to bring all things together under Christ. And part of that is that we would make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus says, right? When he... He's received all authority in heaven and on earth, he says. And he tells the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here's how J.D. Greer puts this. He says, there is no such thing as a spirit-filled Christian who does not become a mouthpiece for Christ. And so, friends, if we are filled with the Spirit, we will not help but be able to talk about Jesus and share him with others and proclaim the glories of what God has offered us in Christ. We can't help but talk about the grace of God with others. It's, it's a, a newfound passion of ours. When we're filled with the Spirit, we talk about Jesus because the Bible tells us that the job of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus and to glorify and honor him. And so part of understanding the will of God and walking in wisdom is understanding these things. And it involves a change in how we approach our life. See, friends, oftentimes we, we kind of waste the time that we have. Paul says this. Here's what he says. He says, walk not as the unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so what does Paul mean when he says the days are evil? I think what Paul is getting at is that the days in this broken world that we experience are filled with brokenness, and they're also coming to an end. And so this is temporary. And so because it's temporary, we've got a limited amount of time. And Paul is saying, if you have a limited amount of time, and what is most important in life is Christ and not you, then it changes how you approach life. Everything in your life becomes an opportunity to serve and honor Christ. It becomes a missional opportunity. It becomes an opportunity to talk about Jesus when you're at work with coworkers, when you're at home with your kids. You begin to disciple them. You begin to make disciples that, that make disciples. So you teach them as well when they come to faith in Christ to do this with others, to talk about the body and blood of Jesus shed for us and what that means and how it gives us freedom from sin and healing from brokenness. And so Paul says the days are evil. They're coming to an end and they're filled with brokenness. And so it changes how we should approach life. And so just one question we should ask ourselves is when was the last time that I invited someone to church or shared the gospel with someone? And friends, most of us, me included, the answer is far too long. And so friends, I want to invite you to have an opportunity to do this. So I don't want to just talk about this and, and say, go do it. I want to actually provide an opportunity for you to, to walk in this. And so next week, what our community groups are going to be doing is we've got Trunk or Treat coming up. 
And we want to bless our community by providing this fun event for families. And we also want to tell them about Jesus. We want to tell them about this body and blood shed for us and how it's extended and offered to them if they'll turn and trust in him. And so what we're going to do next week, next Sunday, instead of having our usual community group meetings, is each community group is going to go out in the neighborhoods surrounding where they meet, and they're going to invite people to trunk or treat. And they're going to invite people to church. And, and, and Lord willing, we'll even have some opportunities to share the gospel with people, to talk with people about who Jesus is and why we're doing this. And so you go up to someone's door and, and you say, hey, I just want to invite you. We're having this, this event here in a couple weeks, and it's great for kids, and there's going to be lots of candy and fun stuff, and we hope you'll join us. Um, and, and they may ask you, so why are you guys doing this? And for instance, that gives us an opportunity to tell them who we are, what we believe, and, and why we care. Because we want people to know Jesus. We want people to know the forgiveness and healing found in him. So that's why we do it. We don't just do it just so we can get some cavities for some, some parents to enjoy with their kids later this month, right? We do it because we love our community, because we love Jesus, and we love what he can do. And so, friends, next week at 5.30, so each of our groups are going to do the 5.30 meeting time next week. And so if you don't have a group, I just invite you to come and join our group here at the church. So I have a group, a community group that meets at our home um, every week at 6 normally, but next week we're going to meet at 5.30, and I'll even uh, provide some, some help with thinking through, okay, how can I have a conversation with someone at their door and inviting them to this event, inviting them to the church, and if the opportunity arises, how do I share the gospel? And so if, if you have concerns about how to do that, I'd love it if you would join us here at 5.30 next week, and we'll talk through a couple of those things real quick before we go out and invite people. And so next week, we have an opportunity to do this as a church. We have an opportunity to share Christ with people, to invite families, to benefit from a wonderful event that we have every year. And I hope you'll join us. Because when we understand the will of God, we we make our lives about his mission. And this is what the Spirit of God wants us to do. It wants us to talk about and tell and proclaim the glories of who Jesus is and his grace for us. And secondly, we have to look at what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So here's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he's going to give three different things that are, I think, both results and means of being filled with God's Spirit that we'll talk about here in just a moment. But before we get there, look at what Paul's saying. He says, Don't get drunk with wine, and so the word there could also be translated filled, so don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And so if you think about someone who who is under the influence, so Brittany and I were watching Animal Planet uh, the other day, which is curious to me that this is what was on Animal Planet, but we were watching Animal Planet, and there was a show about these police officers who mainly deal with fish and wildlife. So I guess that's why it was on Animal Planet. That makes sense now. But what they were doing in this circumstance was they were just kind of guarding this pond that people hung out at, and, and this officer saw this, this young man that was drinking an open can of beer and gets in his car and starts to drive away. And so he turns his lights on and goes and pulls him over. And, and turns out this guy has had, had an arrest for DUI before. And so he... 
and he starts to talk to the officer, and he's not making a whole lot of sense. And, and what you realize in the circumstance, when someone is drunk or they're filled with wine or filled with alcohol, it changes how they act, right? It, it's noticeable. It changes how they speak. They kind of slur their speech, and they walk differently. They probably don't walk so straight. They walk to the right or to the left a little bit. And, and he refused to take the test because he knew that he was walking right or left and not straight ahead. Um, but... What happens when you're filled with alcohol is that it begins to control the way you respond to things. And, and so Paul uses it as an example to show that there's this contrast here. And, and what Paul is saying is not, he's not condemning alcohol. So I want to make that point too. He's not, he's not saying alcohol is bad, avoid alcohol and be filled with the spirit. What he's saying is that there's, there's this drunkenness, this way of being filled with alcohol that begins to control the way that you respond to life and the way that you do things. And instead of being controlled by the substance, why don't you be controlled by God's spirit, empowered by God's spirit instead of overpowered by alcohol? And so he's not saying alcohol is bad. In fact, the Bible says it's a a good gift from God. Jesus' first miracle was to create the best wine that you've ever seen, right? And, and Jesus, in fact, drank wine on a regular basis with his disciples. So apparently Jesus didn't have a problem with alcohol itself, right? And then Paul even says that it's good to have a little bit of wine when you're feeling ill. And then finally, talking about communion, Jesus instructed his disciples, his followers, to celebrate and remember who he is and what he's done for them by drinking wine together and eating bread together. And so the Bible doesn't view alcohol as this bad thing, but the problem is, is that we are idolaters. We worship the creation rather than the creator, right? And so what we tend to do with good gifts from God is we take good things and we make them God things, and it's always a bad thing because they begin to control us and rule over us in only a way that Christ should. And so, does the Bible say that drunkenness is, is evil and wicked and bad? Absolutely. Jesus says wine is a good thing. He tells us it's part of how we worship him and honor him and celebrate him. Though I think he's going to be okay with our grape juice today, so don't worry. Um, I think he's cool with that too. It's more about the heart and what you're remembering than it is about the actual substance. So, uh, so beside the point. But... <laughs> Paul is not saying that alcohol is this bad thing that you need to get rid of. What he is saying is that it shouldn't control you. It shouldn't be an idol in your life. And that instead, you ought to be worshiping Christ and being controlled and influenced under the influence of his spirit. And so Paul says this looks like three different things. It looks like singing, thanking God, and submitting, which are what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Um, but we have to address a, a couple of questions with what, what does it mean to be filled with God's Spirit? And so oftentimes we think about the book of Acts. And so people will talk about um, these experiences in the book of Acts that we read about where the Spirit of God is poured out at Pentecost and, and here's what happens. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then down, down a ways in the same passage in Acts 2, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then later it also says, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. 
And so just in Acts 2, we read about this experience of being filled with the Spirit um, in a way that a lot of interpreters say is unique to that time. Um, But the question we have to ask is, are all Christians filled with the Spirit? And is this filling of the Spirit a secondary experience that that happens after you become a Christian, or is it something that you experience when you come to Christ? And I just want to present an idea to you that it's both. That the answer is not one or the other, but yes. That when every believer is placing their faith in Christ when they are becoming a part of the body. Here's what Paul says. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so Paul says, all Christians have received the Holy Spirit. So there's no two-tier Christianity. There's no difference between a spirit-filled Christian and a regular Christian. What Paul says is that every believer receives the Spirit when they come to Christ, when they become a part of his body. They're united to Christ by faith, and they're also united to one another. And this all happens in the Spirit. But we also read in Acts, in Acts 2, in Acts 4, and in several other places, Christians experiencing a filling or baptizing of the Spirit that is also subsequent to salvation. And so we have kind of a conundrum here. If it's it's just one or the other, then our, our Bible isn't fitting the picture. You see that? Christians experience the Spirit when they come to Christ and also continually throughout the Christian life. So what Paul is saying when we read, be filled with the Spirit, it's the idea of continually. Continually be being filled with the Spirit is how the Greek would translate literally. Be being filled with God's Spirit. And so this is something that we're to experience continually throughout the Christian life. We're to experience the fullness of who God is in greater measures. And so you'll notice in Acts 2 that the disciples who received this filling of the Spirit have already trusted in Christ and are already believers. They're already regenerate. They already know Christ and are living the Christian life. And yet God fills them with his Spirit. And then later on we also read... This in other places, we see in Acts 4 that Peter, who had been a Christian for some time, is filled with the Spirit to confront and preach the gospel to governing officials. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, and so he's talking to a group of people, and he's going to proclaim the gospel to them and rebuke them for the ways they've sinned. And, and, and then he says, and there is no salvation in anyone else. And so the reason Peter is filled with the Spirit in this moment is to proclaim the gospel. And so then we read about Christians gathering to pray because they've been persecuted and are experiencing trials and suffering, and they were filled with the Spirit as well in Acts chapter 4. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then in Acts 13, Paul was filled with the Spirit to rebuke sin and lead people to faith. It says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And then as a result of Paul doing this, people came to faith in Christ. And then we read in Acts 13, again, Christians were filled with joy and the Spirit despite trials because God's work was advancing in the community. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And yet they were already disciples of Christ. They already knew him. And yet they were filled again with his Spirit. 
And so apparently the Bible is talking about this experience of being filled with the Spirit as though it's a continual experience, as though it's something we continue to experience throughout the Christian life, though we experience this filling of the Spirit, this baptism into the body of Christ in the Spirit at conversion. We also experience the fullness of God's Spirit throughout the Christian life. And, and Paul is even communicating in a way that we ought to seek this, right? He says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, continue to do this. And yet it's something that you and I can't really do because we can't force God to give us his Spirit, right? This, this is something that Jesus does. Jesus sends the helper. Jesus pours out the Spirit on his people. And so Paul is commanding us to do something that we're not capable of doing, So what do we do, friends? We turn to Christ. The only way to experience the fullness of God's Spirit is to trust in Christ, is to honor and worship Christ. And so Paul says that being filled with the Spirit, um, here's the other question that people ask, particularly some of our charismatic friends. They say, so... So we look at Acts, and we see people being filled with the Spirit and then speaking in tongues. So does that mean that all Christians should speak in tongues? Does that mean that all Christians experience this spiritual gift? Well, Paul says no. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So Paul's saying the Spirit of God gives gifts to different believers, and they're different gifts, and he's the one who gives them. And he also says later in the same chapter, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And he's talking about love there. And so Paul says, no, every Christian is not going to speak in tongues. Every Christian is not going to prophesy or interpret or, or teach or preach or, or do a work of healing or have a word of knowledge. Not, every believer is not going to experience every spiritual gift. We talked about spiritual gifts a few weeks ago. And how they come from the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives spiritual gifts. And so this baptism in or filling with the Spirit that we experience at at conversion and then throughout the Christian life does not mean that you have to speak in tongues. Does not mean that you have to experience a certain spiritual gift. What it means is that we continue to experience more of God as we serve him and honor him. And so that's what we get into when we think about singing, thanking, and submitting. So in verse 19, here's what Paul says. He says, spirit-filled people sing. He says, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so Paul says the first thing that spirit-filled Christians do is they sing. We're a singing people. That's why every single week, a huge part of our services are that we sing together. We sing his praises, and in fact, in the book of Acts, when you read about people being filled with the Spirit, and even in Acts 2, when they speak in tongues, what they're doing is worshiping God. When, when God's people are filled with his Spirit, they sing and declare his praises. They declare who he is and what he's done. You see this in the book of Acts, and you see it now as the church continues to honor Christ through their words. We sing to him on a weekly and daily basis. And so worship is what spirit-filled Christians do, and this is regardless of age or gender. And so, men, can we talk just a minute? Like, some of us, we get hesitant to sing in church, right? I I remember standing next to a, 
a family member of mine at a church that I'm not going to name so that the family member doesn't know who I'm talking about. Um, but we were standing next to each other during worship, and, and if you've ever stood next to me during worship, you know that I make a joyful noise, but not a pleasant noise. Um, and that I can't sing, I can't carry a tune, I have no rhythm whatsoever, and I just don't have it. But I sing still, because I'm honoring the Lord with my voice and with my heart. But I stood next to this family member of mine, and I, I began to experience what I think some of you experience when you stand next to me in worship, except it, somehow it was worse. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. And it was almost painful to listen to. But here's the thing. I had never been more profoundly impacted by someone singing their heart out to God. And though it didn't sound pleasant, it was from the heart. It was worship. And, and it, it began to reveal some things in me that like, I was even hesitant about worshiping God sometimes because I was worried about how people would think, what people would think of me, what they would think of me not being able to sing. And friends, that's not what it's about when we gather together. It's not about you being able to sing better than everyone else. It's about Christ. It's about honoring him 